Hey Centerway Church, I'm Tara. And I'm Becca. And we're here to welcome you and give you some information to start off our gathering today. Welcome to those of you gathered on the live platform this beautiful Sunday morning. Please feel free to say hi in the chat as we get started. Yes, please do. And a special hello to our student watch party and any other watch parties out there. And we know some of you are watching or listening to this later on in the week, so a hello to you too. And no matter when or where you find yourself gathering today, if it's your first time as a guest, we're so happy you've chosen to spend time with us and hope you feel at home today. Tara and I are going to highlight some information related to your first gathering here at Centerway, and you can also check out our website for additional information about who we are and ways to connect. If you're gathering live, there are some helpful tabs right on the online platform. You can share your information with us, which we love, especially if it's your first visit, so that we can follow up and get feedback. You can also explore next steps and find previous messages. If you call Centerway home and would like an easy way to give, there's a tab to do that. You can also ask questions or request prayer, and one of our hosts will answer you privately in a separate chat. And if you're not on the live platform and you're watching or listening to this message later in the week, you can do many of those things through our website. For our guests and anyone else gathering, please reach out if you have any questions, feedback, ideas, or need prayer. We'd love to connect with you. And you can email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. Yeah, besides reaching out via email, there are other ways for you to connect and engage after this gathering. You can find us on social media and there are resources on our website. Many of the resources are created by our teams to focus specifically on the message you'll hear today, such as wallpaper images for your devices and access to devotionals three days a week that you can even subscribe to. Another resource worth mentioning is that we have a message just for kids. They learn from the same scripture text the adults do, which is an incredible way for families to grow together. And one note about the kids' messages is that we've recently added worship songs with motions to the videos so your kids can actually engage and worship through song and everyone is loving that. These and other resources can be found in the two main places on the website, the Next Steps page and the Messages page. And Tara, actually before we wrap up, we have to mention that today marks our 52nd Sunday gathering online which is kind of hard to believe. <laughs> it really is hard to believe. If you're new to Centerway, you may not realize that we are a young church, about two years old, and we're a mobile church, which means we don't have our own space yet. So since COVID hit, we've been completely online for our Sunday gatherings. It may not be what we planned for this year, but it's been incredible to see what we've learned about being the church and continue growing. We've got some exciting in-person gatherings planned in the coming weeks, but really, we're just so thankful that no matter how we gather, God has been faithful to us. Totally agree. And now, here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. Michaela will be reading from the scripture, and Claude will be communicating from the Bible, and then Tara and I will close out our message and gathering with some ways to respond in worship. And right after that, you can join us live on Instagram or Facebook as a way to respond through song. Here's Michaela with the text for today. Hi, Centerway. I'm going to be reading Mark 9, 2 through 13. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of, the, out of the cloud. This is my beloved son, listen to him. 
And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written that the Son of Man, that he should suffer many things and be treated with content? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Hello, my name is Claude, and my wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church. Really excited you have the opportunity to be with us as we continue in our new series, Greater Expectations. This morning, uh, the message is actually entitled uh, Greater Relational Expectations. And so uh, we're, as I mentioned, continuing in the series, Greater Expectations. And although we're only week two into the series, I'm already really enjoying the idea of tackling expectations. Um, it just, we all have expectations as we've already talked about, and uh, it just seems very timely. In fact, <clears throat> What we expect versus what it is that we experience can sometimes result in awkward moments and even uh, unexpected, obviously, unexpected situations. Uh, one time in particular, I have a list of a whole mess of awkward uh, interactions as a result of expectations versus reality. But there's this one that I think is kind of universal that resonates with probably everyone. And um, that's getting so involved in a conversation that your expectation of where you are and what's happening uh, completely gets thrown. And so I was uh, I was a teenager and I was had gotten dropped off at the mall. Uh, that was something that used to happen back in the day. And so we, uh, we got dropped off and we were hanging out in the mall and we were with a bunch of friends. It was a whole group of us, guys and girls. And, um, we were just walking through the mall, going from store to store. And I don't really remember the conversation. I just remember trying to explain something to someone. And so it was a group of people and I was trying to explain it to them and they kept getting confused. And it wasn't like an argumentative moment or anything like that. It was just one where I was really focused on what I was trying to explain. And so I continued to explain it to them. And as we're walking along, I continue to explain and they kind of stop and they're like talking amongst themselves, but I'm just so focused on what I'm talking about. They keep walking and I keep following them. And all of a sudden uh, they stop and they go, Claude, what are you doing in here? And I'm like, what do you mean? And I look up and I have followed this group of girls into the women's bathroom at the mall. Now, it's possible because in the bathrooms at the mall, there's kind of those open doors. And what I did not realize is that they were pausing along the way and at one point walked in front of me. And when they were walking in front of me, they were walking into that open alleyway of a, of a bathroom at a, at a mall. And I just followed them in and continued talking. And so there I am in the middle of the women's bathroom and I'm completely thrown off. It's one of the most awkward situations I've ever been in, mostly because the other women in the bathroom are horrified that some teenage boy has just walked into the bathroom. And so what am I going to do? There I am in the middle of the situation. And so I did what anybody would probably do. I turned around and just started washing my hands at the sink. <laughs> didn't know what else to do. I was just like, whatever, I guess I'll wash. I'm in the bathroom. So I start washing my hands. They're like, 
what? And like half the room is laughing, the other half is horrified, and I'm just like, well, it is what it is. And so I washed my hands, dried them, acted like I just kind of belonged there and walked out. I was really kind of horrified by the whole experience. But the question I want to ask you as we move into the text this morning is, how do you respond to being in an awkward situation? How do you respond? How do you respond to being in an awkward situation? And I've thought a lot about this. I thought a lot about this because I think that there's really two different types of people when it comes to awkward situations. I like to think that I'm fairly well informed on the topic because truth be told, I actually love awkward moments. I love them. I think I thrive off of them. Like my wife is shaking her head yes right now. I don't know why. I don't know if that means I, <laughs> I have an issue or what, but I actually love them. Um, I just, I lean in. I'm fascinated by awkward moments. Um, my wife, Meredith, and I, as I already mentioned, um, she and I could not be more different when it comes to this topic. We are polar opposites. Uh, so I, I want to submit to you that there's really two types of responses to awkward situations. And those are those that lean in to awkward situations and those that lean out. So you either lean in or you lean out. And I know that there's extremes on the gamut for sure, but at the end of the day, there's two main responses to an awkward situation, those that lean in and those that lean out. And that's that dynamic is kind of really what we're gonna focus on this morning. For what it's worth, I don't think that there's a, a right or a wrong here when it comes to, to awkward or when it comes to experiencing the unexpected. I don't think it's a, a deeper indicator of, of anything other than just what it is. Some people lean in and some people, they lean out. Now, th when I talk about lean in, there, there might need to be a little bit of an explanation. What I mean by lean in is when there's that, that unexpected, do you kind of ask a question? Instead of just kind of being overwhelmed by the moment, do you almost probe deeper for maybe, I don't know, like a little more awkward? Like, is there possibly something more awkward at play than what we're just experiencing right now? Do you, do you feel the need in moments where a lot of people just want to pretend they're not even in the room to instead maybe like pop some popcorn, grab a seat and just enjoy the show? Like that's, that's a lean in type approach. I'm just, like I said, fascinated. I could watch people engage in the unexpected awkward all day long, all day long. If there's a Netflix for that, I'm in. Now, I know that there are some people that I've already mentioned, they lean out. And like I said, Meredith falls into that category. And what, what I don't mean is that she doesn't like run from it, like scared, like, oh no, it's awkward. I don't know what to do. Like she's more than capable to deal with awkward situations. But when given the opportunity, she will lean out. In fact, to give you an idea, she actually gets embarrassed on behalf of others, which I'm amazed and fascinated by. Like she literally starts to feel bad for them. She's laughing right now as I'm saying this because it's just so amazingly true. To give you an idea, we will be watching a television program and something awkward will begin to happen. And as I'm kind of leaning in like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. She will actually start saying, no, no. Oh my gosh, no. Make it stop. Make it stop. Like she'll start saying that because she'll feel the awkward happening and she just wants to lean out. So here's the deal. You know who you are. You either lean in on some level or you lean out on some level. 
We all do it. We lean one way or the other. And the reason why we all do it is because something other than what we expect happens all the time in our lives. It happens to us. It happens to other people. We witness that which is expected coming completely unglued. And in those moments, there's this moment of, oh my gosh, what's happening? And I want to tell you that we actually see this from Peter in today's text. It's clear that Peter decides to lean in. Now, if you're new to the Bible, and I realize that there's a wide gamut of people that are watching and listening at different places in their spiritual journey. So this portion of scripture is called the transfiguration. All right. So if you're new to the Bible, this is the, I'm going to use the word transfiguration. I don't want you to be like, what in the SAT word is happening right now? This is what transfiguration means. It, it basically means uh, that Jesus's appearance changed completely in a moment that that there's an, an aura of beauty and radiant glory that takes place. All right. So that moment, that experience is called the transfiguration. So we can't know for sure, obviously, what Peter's expectations were when Jesus asked him, James, and John to go with him up to the top of this mountain. One could conclude based on previous experiences in scripture that he was going up there to pray because that would happen from time to time. But ultimately, we don't really know what Peter expected. But I can confidently say he was not expecting what he saw. He was not expecting what he saw. And the proof is how he responded. So let's even talk about that. Uh, verses five through six say this. And Peter said to Jesus. All right. So he has just witnessed the transfiguration. Uh, Jesus is glowing, as you heard read earlier. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. <laughs> it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. I love it. I love the just the real approach to scripture, what, the way Mark just kind of plainly says it. Peter says, you know, it's a good thing we're here. I'm going to make some tents. I'm going to make one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And, you know, the truth is, as Mark says, he didn't know what else to say because he was terrified. Peter was literally scared to death. What he expected did not happen, whatever it was. And so this is an entirely unexpected situation and he decides he's gonna lean in. I'm gonna make me three tents. What? Why are you gonna make tents, Peter? His response almost seems comical unless you understand that the Greek word used for tents here actually means and translates as tabernacles, tabernacles. So what Peter is leaning into when he has and experiences the unexpected, is leaning into his default. He's leaning into his default of what he knows and what he expects from God. Let me explain. Like the scripture says, he didn't know what else to say. So I want to submit to you that we default to what we know and to what we can control whenever we experience the unexpected. That's exactly what we see here with Peter. So Peter, as a young Jewish boy, his entire life, he would be raised in such a way as to understand how to experience God. And so he's been taught when we're in God's presence, it means a couple of things. First off, we never experience God's presence without a tabernacle. 
for two reasons. There's two reasons in the Jewish law, in the Jewish upbringing. The first one is to protect us from God's presence. All throughout scripture, we see where Jesus, where God's presence um, is revealed to humanity, there's consequence. And whether it's positive or whether it's negative. In fact, there's moments in the Old Testament where uh, where people are hidden in the, the cleft of a rock as God passes by and, and, and they're permitted to look on the, on the back of God's presence as he's moving away. So there's this reality that we need protection from God's presence because we're sinners. And sinner uh, sin results in death. And so there's protection. Secondly, we need to be in a place where we can make sacrifices for our sin so we can worship God in the midst of his presence. So all of these things equate to we need a tabernacle. So this would be a a logical kind of default reaction to an unexpected situation that Peter is walking into. So he says this, And God responds. God actually responds in verse 7. This is what God says. And a cloud overshadowed them, and the voice, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. So God's presence comes. Peter says, Let me make let me make some tabernacles, essentially. And God says, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. So Peter has already said in a previous text that we talked about, you are the Christ. He said that to Jesus. And now God, the Father, confirms his statement. So now we heard God's voice when Jesus was baptized in water, if you remember from a previous message. But this is the first time in human history that God is present. He's present in a cloud without caution or consequence to humanity. There's no tabernacle. There's no um, process of cleansing. There's none of the, the, the law that is taking place in this moment to protect humanity. Why? How is that possible? How are there no consequence? Even when we see in the Old Testament that Moses had an encounter with God, his face actually glowed. Scripture says. And so there, these people, the disciples aren't glowing. There seems to be no caution or consequence to humanity. What are we supposed to learn from this? What does the transfiguration actually mean? We have to look at at verse 8. Verse 8 says, And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. So God speaks, and then Moses and Elijah disappear, and it's only Jesus. Now, bear with me as I'm kind of setting some some ground uh, rules or expectations of how it is that we can interpret what it is that we're looking at so that we can get to the point of how it connects to our everydayness. In context, if we read with modern thoughts, right? We have a modern mind right now, and so we're looking through our lens. We kind of read this text, and our thoughts are we have access to God because of Jesus. And so, There's nothing really maybe profound happening here, but we have to consider the context and understand what this means to the three disciples that are present and what this would mean to the first generation of readers that would read Mark. Moses and Elijah are gone. Jesus remains and the sinful human disciples survived an encounter with God. How? 
how in the world is that possible? There's only one way that that would have been possible. There would have to be a high priest that's been through a cleansing process and they'd have to be in a tabernacle. That's the only way that would be possible up until this moment in time in history. That's what the original readers of Mark would be thinking. And I want to tell you to them and us, what this is saying is that Jesus is the great high priest and he is the tabernacle. You see, there's something happening right here that is deeper than maybe we realize at face value. Jesus is the greater priest than Moses. In fact, he fulfilled the law. Jesus is the greater prophet than Elijah. In fact, he fulfills all the prophecies. There's something incredible that's happening in the transfiguration where all of these dots are being connected. Something that seems impossible prior to this moment takes place. The presence of God settles in a cloud and sinful people are not impacted. And for the first time, the disciples have to be wrestling with the reality that, wait, Jesus being the Christ has implications in my life that I cannot understand. That now there's an access to God that we've never been able to experience before. You see, in that moment, equipped with all his earthly knowledge and all of his perspective, Peter was attempting to bridge a gap between him and God in the only known way. Let's build some tabernacles. But if he had greater relational expectations, he would have realized that Jesus was in the process of closing that gap. There was something taking place to where a tabernacle would no longer be necessary, that sacrifices would no longer be would no longer be necessary because Jesus would be the ultimate sacrifice. I once heard someone say, Jesus is not just the object of our worship. He is the secret of our worship. Think about that. It's rather simple and yet amazingly profound. Worship Jesus as God, and we are relationally able to worship God because of Jesus. Do you see it? Verse 9 goes on and, and says, As they were coming down the mountain, he, meaning Jesus, charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Had risen from the dead? Wait a second, here we go again. He's making a direct correlation of the transfiguration to his resurrection. Why is that? It's because the transfiguration is a foreshadowing of the resurrection. It's just put together all the pieces, all the pieces of what's taking place. Jesus has, has plainly stated it in the pericope prior that we talked about last week. And now it's played out right in front of them. And the disciples are still not connecting the depth of the dots. They just don't get it. And the main reason is because they have an expectation of Jesus and this is not lining up. They're missing out on the greater expectations because they have an expectation and they're trying to settle into that. They're trying to push God into that box. <laughs> Sound familiar, right? We know the way this should go, God. Come on. They really don't like the whole death talk. 
Verse 10 is basically them wondering amongst one another if Jesus's death talk is figurative or if in some way it's a parable. They're actually trying to understand like, why would he be talking about dying? And in fact, verse 11 is them basically challenging Jesus to be the Messiah that they want him to be. Now, you may not see it at face value, but verse 11 says this. It says, and they asked him, these are the disciples, asked Jesus, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? They're asking him a challenging question. You might miss it at face value unless you understand what it's like to be raised as a Jewish boy. You see, they would be very well informed on all of the prophecies associated with the Messiah. And so they have just said, you are the Christ. God has said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And immediately their mind goes to Malachi, which they've been raised about talking and learning about the prophecies. So Malachi chapter four talks about the Messiah being a conqueror. And it talks about how Elijah must come first. So literally in this moment, as they're talking amongst themselves, it's like they ask a question like, wait a second, you know, Jesus, you're talking about that death stuff, but don't the prophecies say like Elijah will come first and didn't we just see Elijah? Like they're so obsessed with their expectations that they're missing the point at every turn. They're saying to Jesus, you are the Christ. That was just Elijah. Now you are supposed to rule. Go and be the conqueror we want you to be. Be the Messiah we want you to be. Be the God we want you to be for us. There's no death needed. Let's not talk about that. They're missing the entire point. They're essentially saying, Jesus, we've got this figured out. There's a better way. And the better way is my way. <laughs> Gosh, we're right. We're right there. We're right there. We've seen God move in specific ways in our lives. Regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, there are unexplained moments in the narrative of your life. There are unexplained moments in the, the loved ones of your life that they would attribute the things of God to. And in the midst of, of all of what is taking place, there's still this leaning towards, listen, I have an expectation of who God is. And if it doesn't measure up to my expectations, I'm not sure I can serve a God like that. I'm not sure a God like that really loves me. We're trying to make sense of the way our life is going. Because after all, we have a better way. What's Jesus' response? Jesus responds to them, to their question. Verses 12 through 13. And he said to them, Jesus, he says, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how it is written, and how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. So he responds like, I'm still supposed to suffer, right? Have you not read Elijah? Is, is, I'm sorry. Have you not read Isaiah is essentially what he's asking. And he goes on and says, but I tell you that Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. Jesus is saying, oh, the new Elijah did come. You're right. You're right, but not the way you think you're right. The new Elijah was John the Baptist, and he died. They did what they wanted with him. Now, 
if, like I said, you're somewhat new to the Bible, you might be like, John the Baptist, what? <laughs> where did we just go and make that jump? If you look at the parallel gospels, you'll look at Matthew chapter 17. And Matthew chapter 17 is recording the same experience. And so I want to jump to that so you can understand. Jesus says to the disciples, Matthew chapter 17, verses 12 through 13 says this, but I tell you that Elijah has come, has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So Jesus is talking about the reality that he must suffer. He must suffer, even though it's different than what they want, even though it's different than their expectation. He's trying to communicate, listen, have greater expectations. Don't settle for your version because your version means you continue living in in a gap from God's presence. But my version means greater relational expectations. It means that you can know God himself because of what it is that I'm willing to do because I will suffer. You see, I must suffer, Jesus is saying, because through Jesus' suffering, we can have hope and greater expectations in the midst of our suffering. In the midst of our suffering. That's what Jesus did for us. Get this, in suffering, which will happen to us, You and I will either choose to draw closer in relationship to God or choose to relationally distance ourselves from God. That's just the nature of suffering. When it comes, when hardship comes in this life, which it will, you and I will either choose to draw close in relationship with God, to lean in, or choose to relationally distance ourselves from God. To lean out. You see, when we come face to face with something other than what we expected, every single one of us chooses to either lean in or lean out. If we're honest, our expectations affect our relationships. They affect every relationship on this plane, and so of course it affects our relationship with God. We either lean in or we lean out. And I want to challenge you to lean in on what God is relationally speaking to you. You might have a default of how you react when it comes to awkward situations. But like I said, the crux of what we're talking about is this dynamic of leaning in and leaning out. And that is a choice. It's a decision that we make when it comes to the way that we relate to God. I want to let you know that you lean in or lean out, but I want to challenge you, sorry, to lean in on what God is relationally speaking to you. Would you lean in on what God is relationally speaking to you because of the person and work of Jesus Christ, because of the life he lived, the death he died, because of the victory he had over sin, because he is the great high priest and the tabernacle, that he would be the ultimate sacrifice because of all that put together. Would you lean in on what he's relationally speaking to you today? We say every week that the text requires something of us. And so here's the the official challenge, the application, is to act this week on something you know God is directing you to do. Act this week on something you know God is directing you to do. 
all too often we say lean in as if it's a kind of a hypothetical mindset, you know? You know, that's good. That's good, Claude. I'm going to I'm going to lean in on whatever God tells me, you know. And it's like, "Oh, well, what are you going to do about it?" I'm going to lean in. <laughs> no, I mean, what action are you going to take? What risk are you going to take because of the relationship that you have with God? He's been speaking to you. He's been whispering to you. And there's there's risks involved. And there's fear of awkward situations and the unknown. And I want to challenge you. Will you lean in to what God is asking you to do? For some of you this morning, leaning in looks like the risk of starting a relationship with God. To come to the place where you realize, you know what? I've lived a life my own way long enough. Lord, will you come and be the leader of my life? If that's you this morning, whether you're watching live or after the fact, it's as simple as praying a prayer to begin that relationship. It could be something along the lines of acknowledging the fact that you are a sinner, coming face to face with the sinful nature of your life, asking the Lord to forgive you, acknowledge that Jesus died for your sins. God, would you forgive me? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. I want to challenge you to, to pray a prayer like that if you never have. Maybe that's your application this week. In fact, if you have prayed that prayer and you're live with us, if you click on the prayer button, we'd love to go into a private conversation with you because that's what that prayer button will do. It'll put you in a private conversation with one of our hosts and we can just talk about the next steps and how to move forward in this relationship that you've begun. If you're listening to this after the fact or watching after the fact, you can always reach out via email or through our website. We'd love to come alongside you in this decision that you're making. For others of us that have already prayed a prayer like that, I want to challenge you to be a person of action. What does it look like to have a trust relationship with God and to have greater relational expectations? To say, okay, God, I, I trust you. And if you're leading me to do this, then, then I'm going to take that step. And if you're not sure if you're hearing or, or understanding the voice of God, one of the best ways you can do it is put what it is you feel compelled to do against Scripture. And if it contradicts Scripture, then that's probably more your flesh than it is the Lord. Sometimes there's things that aren't specifically articulated in Scripture. And so I want to challenge you to go to people that are trusted Christ followers, that have Jesus as the center of their life, and, and tell them about what it is that you feel the Lord might be leading you to do. They'll join in with you in prayer or maybe ask you some challenging questions. There's ways that we can put checks and balances to whether or not God is actually asking us to do something. But oftentimes we don't get that far because we're not willing to lean in. So let's lean in. I don't know what it looks like, but I know that God is asking all of us to lean in deeper because the text requires something of us. Maybe it's to have a spiritual conversation with a loved one or a friend, share this message. I don't know but I just want to encourage you to do it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray for clarity, that you would give us clarity as this week goes on and what it is that you're asking us to act on and that we would be people of action, that we would lean in because of who Jesus is, because of what it is that he's done, because the transfiguration foreshadowed the resurrection, because you had victory over sin and death. Lord, we can have relationship with you. And so we declare ourselves available, ask you to lead and guide us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Excited to be with you again next week as we continue in this series, Greater Expectations. Until then. Thanks for gathering today, everyone. That was a great week two of this new series. 
We'll get to worship through song in a minute if you're gathered live, but we also encourage you to worship by staying engaged throughout the week and taking time to respond to the word. Yes, applying the text is a great way to worship. Acting on something God is directing you to do is obedience, which is most certainly worship. And like Becca said, we're about to worship together through song if you're with us live. If you're connecting at another time, you can still worship through song by finding the video posted on Facebook or singing along with the songs on Spotify. Just search for Center Ray Church and look for the new Greater Expectations playlist. For those gathered on the online platform, we'll see you on Facebook or Instagram Live in a few minutes. <laughs> 